Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, and welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. Hope you're doing well out there. Happy Pride Month. We're here to celebrate queer lives and queer stories, and that's what our podcast is about. Each episode, we interview a different queer performer about their life, about how they got to where they are, how they perform, how they stay healthy and safe, and we're excited to bring you Nikki Nikolai in this episode. Nikki Nikolai is a New Orleans-based drag burlesque and Puplesque, which we learn about in the episode, Performer. Now, before we get to the episode, few things. Hope everybody's doing well out there. Usually when we start the episode, we say, hey, how are you? But that just seems like such a loaded question right now. And that's not really what we mean to say. What we want to say is we are here for you, we support you, and we love you, and we hope you're doing well or as well as you can be, and we're happy to help out and do what we can in any way. Now this episode, we delayed releasing it in support of the Black Lives Matter protests, and we continue to support the protesters and to do what we can. Uh, we've been posting some links on our social media, so check that out, of accounts that you should follow, of places that uh, you can donate if you have the money to donate, any information about protests in our New Orleans area, Anything that we hear, we're happy to, to share that information and lend our support and be out there. Contact your politicians, stay informed, share information, let folks know what's going on. Let folks know that you support because change is upon us and we really believe that things are going to move forward in a better direction than they have. And we need to stay strong and we need to fight and we need to believe that there is a brighter future. And that's one of the things that I was excited for when we interviewed Nikki Nikolai. Nikki is in their 20s and they are hopeful and they've been through a lot of shit and they still come out of it with this positive attitude. And I think that's really important right now to hear. And Nikki's story is wonderful and we're so thankful that they came on the podcast and shared with us and we'd like to get to it right now. We're excited to have Nikki on this episode, so... Let's get to it. Let's get to Nikki Nikolai. How are you doing? I am good. Uh, enjoying my self-isolation. Not really. I'm not. <laughs> you have roommates. You have people you're staying with. Like, are you in isolation or not? You got me saying isolation. <laughs> Quarantine. <laughs> I live 
with roommates. I have three roommates who are all super queer, pansexual, chaotic people. So it's great to have four of us in a house nonstop together. Yeah. I live with my girlfriend who you know, um, and then we have roommate who actually just got married right before COVID. Uh, so we're living with a newlywed couple, which I was like, oh, there could be so many jokes about this. But uh, I'm just I'm thankful to have people around. I really am. Oh, well, well let's not downplay the use that all of this is going to give to anybody's comedy. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of debates in the comedy. And I don't know if the drag world has this about is it okay to like, are we just waiting to get back out there and just do all COVID numbers and sets? Or are we like, we should try to get back to what it was before? Or like, or should we just depress the hell out of people? Or should we try to laugh about it when there's a lot of really bad things that are happening in the world? I mean, I'll, I'll say don't like downplay the the uh, horror of it, but we're we're humans. We get through bad shit through comedy. Yeah, we yeah. a lot of us really just need to laugh. So, oh yeah, it's a huge coping me- mechanism for a lot of people. And what what are you doing to? Because I'm used to seeing you, you know, out and about performing, going to shows hanging out and you know there's some online performances but it's we're not in the same space that we were in a couple months ago so what are you doing to fuel those creative juices and keep going and uh for my creativity i've started doing uh the uh unicorn cat challenge with which was created by another local performer uh, well performers actually uh xena zeitgeist and the great dane it's a photo shoot challenge where you're given a prompt every day and you have to create a look and photo shoot based around that prompt so it's been a really good way to flex my creative juices also really weird because i'll get up at like eight o'clock and that's the first thing i do in the day that's great though it's got you looking forward to something yeah i get up i do uh whatever the challenge is for that day i do my photo shoot for the day and then i shower and either eat lunch or go back to bed no that's that's a really great thing that they're doing we uh we interviewed xena for uh episode 31 i want to say of the podcast and she's great oh yeah her mind is just like oh my god how do you think of these things yeah and that's great to have something positive for, 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 for you to do and also to share with everybody because that's what's, you know, hard with being basically where we've all been forced onto an online platform right now. And some of the art translates to that and some of it doesn't. Yeah, it was, it's been hard trying to just come up with online acts, I guess we're calling them now, because I'm very used in my performances with audience interaction and whenever you're a burlesque performer you know taking off clothes and making a story out of it is very easy on stage it's not as easy on film there's emotion and there's energy that you feel from someone on stage it's hard to translate that into film so i filmed myself a couple of times doing a couple of burlesque acts and i was like oh god i'm getting nothing from from this so i mean it also doesn't help that i'm in like my apartment's hallway <laughs> hey, we gotta use what we what we have. I've the few videos I've done have all been in my living room, so it looks like I just have a one room house. <laughs> it's like it's the clean, it's the cleanest room. I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> I will say that I have an entire staircase ready for use, and I have not used it yet. So I probably should get on that. Yeah, maybe a tomorrow's challenge. <laughs> yeah, something something with the staircase. So you do drag, you do burlesque. Is there any other types of performances? I am a bit of a singer. Uh, I don't do it that often. 
because I I was kind of told my entire life like oh you cannot sing you cannot sing you cannot sing I moved to New Orleans and people hear me singing and they're like oh you got a great voice I'm like what so one of the first pe- people to actually tell me this was your girlfriend. That's quite a compliment from her because she will not say that just to say it. I promise you that. <laughs> it was such a random thing. She was just like, what are you talking about? You have a great voice. I'm like, what? So that's been a new route for me to go down. Uh, like you said, I do burlesque. I also uh, do a subset of burlesque that I don't see a lot of it. Uh, I've probably seen one other person do it and it's called Puplesque. I am a puppy and I act like a puppy on stage and I take my clothes off. Before everything was shut down, the Monday after everything was shut down, we were supposed to do a Bury Your Bone, a pupless cabaret at the Always Lounge. And it's still going to happen. Once things, I I don't like to say return to normal because I don't think things are going to be normal after all this. Once we are able to go back outside and gather in large groups, we will be doing that again but as of right now it's like a lot of my shows are just postponed until further notice which sucks so much because i am a performer through and through but one of my favorite things about performing is producing a show i love every part of it the advertising the feeling you get whenever you walk out from the back and you actually see a crowd and you're like oh my god i did good work yay my advertising went well <laughs> my i'm a marketing genius <laughs> i've seen you in producer mode uh for a couple of shows and what i you can tell when someone's a producer there's like i feel like there's two routes there's the like i don't know what i'm doing i'm freaking out right now and then there's the person that's like i got it you put the chairs here you do the music here you get ready over here here's the lineup and you're that you're the one that like you walk in and you're like this is my this is my place yeah i mean i have certain things when it comes to being a producer whenever i uh have a show i always like first thing i do i have my cast i create my facebook group chat and i post here's the time that the show starts here's the time you need to be there here's the recommended time you get there if you are getting ready there here's this here's this and then i have like my my rules which is like no drama no hard drugs backstage i'm always fine with weed backstage however i don't want to see like coke backstage i tell them come on whatever recreational drug you feel like as long as you're still coherent i don't want to see it backstage because i produce most of my shows at the always lounge and i feel like having hard drugs backstage while you're performing is very disrespectful to a establishment and i would never think of disrespecting always lounge like that i'm very stickler to that rule the no drama rule of course the have fun rule and the be on time rule because i have a blacklist and i i will say that i only have a handful of people on it but they're on it because they broke those rules. Yeah, that's one thing I've, I've learned about producing because I'm like a more laid back kind of person. But I realize when you're producing a show, like you are telling this audience, like, here's what you're going to expect. You do need to set those rules and you need to tell the performers up top, like, like for Queer Mountain now, we have a set of guidelines and we're like, here's here's the list. Like, you can't be racist. You can't be homophobic. You can't whatever it is. And if somebody violates that, they're not welcome back. Exactly. It might sound harsh to people, but it's necessary to keep a, a safe space for your audience and to keep a space for your audience that you that they know if they come to your show, they're going to feel safe and, and respected. I could be very laid back. When I get into that producer mode, though, it is very much like, no, you don't understand. This is my career. This is my job. And I'll, and I'll say this. Whenever you're not producing a show and you're just in the show, you're a kindergartner. <laughs> and that <laughs> producer is your kindergartner teacher. 
And I'll, I've, I've been the performer, I've been the producer, and I can say that whenever I'm just a performer, I'm a kindergartner because I don't know what the fuck to do until I get on that stage. Once I'm on that stage, I'm fine. If I'm not on that stage, I'm like, what? The, wh- where the fuck do I go? What the fuck do I do? Someone tell me. You give out stars for when you do well. <laughs> no, yeah. Dollars out. It's dollars now. Yeah. <laughs> We've graduated from stars to dollars. How long have you been performing, either or both, drag and? burlesque okay so my first ever drag performance uh was actually in my high school gymnasium wow we were doing a womanless beauty pageant yes i know and the teacher that was running it knew that i was hella fucking queer and the whole school kind of knew that i was really into drag Uh, even at, you know, 16 years old. So she pulled me aside. She was like, I know that if you get on that stage, that, well, not stage, that gymnasium floor, you will literally wipe the floor with them all and it'd be funny as all hell. But we kind of do want to give these boys a fighting chance. So how about you be the entertainment? So I'm like, cool, cool. (laughs) I'm already being told that I'm too talented uh, (laughs) to lower myself. So self-esteem was through the roof. And my very first performance on in my high school gymnasium was to believe by share in like a full share impersonation that I did in 30 minutes and everything was from goodwill. (laughs) Somehow including the wig. So I would say drag, I guess 16 years old. I didn't really become serious about it until I was about 20. And that's when it kind of was like, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. Burlesque, I've actually only been doing for a little under a year. Okay, wow, that's that's the perfect first performance, of course. Share, believe, high school gymnasium, absolutely, all of that. Where where are you from? I'm from. Okay, so I I tell I love telling the story about where I'm from because I'm like this theater persona. I I go out, I party all the time. You'll see me at a show after the show, after any show, by the way. If there is weed on the premises, uh, somehow. It gets smoked by me, and I am high as a kite after, (laughs) somehow, somehow, and I am high as a kite after a show, which is where I like to be, because all that adrenaline is helping come down. So it always shocks people when I say, I grew up on a chicken farm in mid-Louisiana, near a still classified by the U.S. Census village called Mervyn's Hall. Village. So that's still a... Okay, does that mean that it's less than like 100 people or something? I think it's less than like 300 people, I want to say, like classifies a village. And they had a womanless pageant where you got to perform drag? I was a very queer, just teenager kid. I remember back in back in second grade, I was like doing that very stereotypical, like they're young, they're gay, and they don't even know it yet thing where people are like, well, if you're not into girls, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know, I'll just live with a guy. In like second grade, <laughs> I was saying this because I was like, I don't like, I don't like women. Little did I know, here I am. 24 years old, I have to go back and amend to that kid. Like, no, 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 no. You're just not into cis women. So did you have like a coming out kind of Uh, thing? So the other thing I like to surprise people about my childhood is that I was raised by two moms. Okay. 
in in a village in the middle of Louisiana. That yeah, yeah, very, it's, it, that's very impressive because I grew up in a much bigger place that didn't know anybody that was queer. Yeah, it's it's very like Dungeons and Dragons, like starter episode, small village, queer parents, queer per- queer like child sells out into the world. I'm I'm literally a D and D campaign turned sitcom. <laughs> that's a good way to describe it. Uh, was that an issue at all? Not really. People would pick on me for being gay, but I never once got picked on for having two moms. But it's because it was a very close-knit community. Like, everyone knew each other in that community. So people already knew who my mom was. People already knew who my other mom was. Everyone was friends. I mean, yeah, you have your, you know, normal dicks, but never really was it a issue with my parents at least not that i saw i don't know if they you know hid that from us but i didn't see it i got my i had my own thing but you know i was a 16 year old crossdresser people were like who cares if he has two moms we have bigger fish to fry for the bullies that was like oh we'll get to that but first let's get through this mountain of material first that's still i mean what how did you deal with with bullies because I think it's it's great I feel like a lot of people kind of just like go into themselves versus saying like fuck this I'm still gonna dress how I want to dress I'm still gonna be who I am I did a lot I I have a history with self-harm due, due to bullying I was very I was very for my eighth grade year I remember I was tortured every single day day for my school we weren't a big paid for school obviously and it was like you're fine for uh, like arts choices it was banned <laughs> that was your that was your arts choice so for the people who didn't do band we had what was called enrichment which was basically a extra math or an extra english class so i would go there and all the jocks were in there because none of them were in band so these boys would just constantly constantly pick on me for like every single day of my eighth grade year and like normally in like normal classes when I would have to deal with them it was okay because I was I was you know stereotypical queer kid most of my friends were girls however for enrichment classes they were uh, segregated along gender lines so the boys were all in one class the girls were all in one class so I didn't really have a lot of guy friends or at least not that early in in high school so I, it was very much like a, I was alone in one class for an entire period. And it was very, very grueling just every day, fag, pussy, just being picked on. Like one day we were just like asked, what do y'all want to do? I was, I was in eighth grade and I like to cook. So I was like, oh, I kind of want to be a chef uh, when I grow up because that's, that's the thing. And I got relentlessly tortured for two months over that because that was seen as gay did the school step in did there anybody (laughs) so for one of those classes was taught by one of the coaches so no nothing ever happened with the other one the teacher was basically like i will tell them to stop but there is literally nothing i could do because they play sports here there's nothing i can do because i can send them to the principal's office they'll get sent right back with nothing uh one day i literally had enough i literally was like going home breaking down harming myself like all of it every single day so i just had enough and after that class i went to my next class and told my teacher like i need to go to the principal i need to uh, she lets me go and I go there and I tell him what happened. He calls and he's like, give me three people to call in here that are doing this to you. I guess that's 
I don't know why that was the solution, but I named three of them. They brought them in and we all four got yelled at. Why? Well, they got yelled at for, you know, teasing me, picking on me. I got yelled at for waiting so long to come forward about it. Wow. Yeah. I got yelled at for basically being scared to say uh, something and for making it so easy to be picked on. That's so frustrating that it's like, and now I'm coming forward and you're, you're, you're yelling at me. So what, like what motivation did I have to come forward to you? If when I do come forward, you're not doing shit. Yeah. I, it's slowly, the, the school slowly got better. I knew going into this, going into that conversation, like I'm going to go in there and it's going to be, I'm going to get told I'm sorry, but these three boys, and then we're all going to go back to class and nothing's going to ever happen. I, and that's exactly what happened. Plus I got yelled at. However, what I will say is that in the next year, one of those bullies actually came up to me and apologized. Oh, wow. That's great. And said that me bringing him into the principal's office was like, literally said, I left from that. I was like, shit, I'm actually hurting this kid. And we talked the next year and he apologized and we got to become like, not really close friends, but we were friends. And he kind of stood up for me every every now and again. That same year, however, someone actually did get, three people got suspended because uh, I was in class and they left uh, a note on my desk calling me a every single gay slur you can think of. And some you probably can't even think of just like written on a piece of paper on my desk. And I brought it. We had a substitute teacher that day, which I guess is why they thought they could do that, brought it to her and she was like screaming she was so mad (laughs) backfired yeah they got they got suspended for that which i pointed out was like kind of fucked because like here were these three guys who were torturing me every day and they got yelled at where these three girls got suspended for what incident there's a lot of miscarriage of justice in like the school scenarios you know a lot of times they'll say you know get mad at and you, you, you didn't, oh, you didn't report it to us soon enough. It's like, but do something about it because this is a problem. I'm letting you know it's been a problem for a very long time. And I'm letting you know, even now, it's probably going to still be a problem. I mean, looking back on it, it's, defi- it's definitely victim blaming. You you took so long to come, to come to us about it. Well, yes, and this is why. Nobody noticed it. Nobody, you know, like that. They, they're there. They're the adults that are there all day. Yeah. Did you talk to your moms about this or anyone in your family? I talked to, I told my moms about it. They tried doing things like they would call the principal after, after that whole incident, my mom was livid uh, that they didn't get suspended. My mom had been telling me like for months now, go to the principal, go to the principal. And I did what she said. And I got yelled at my mom. My mom felt very guilty because like I did what she said to do and I got in trouble for it. There was this one time where uh, this boy we were playing dodgeball and pee and we did that thing in dodgeball where you know you get hit you go to the middle and you have to get tagged out that old mm-hmm. that old thing uh and i got tagged out and as i was getting up this boy came up to me and literally slammed a uh, dodgeball in my face and knocked me out oh shit yeah so my mom came to the school pissed that's a lawsuit it, yeah, I mean, I didn't press charges or anything. I probably should have. Uh, but it was just literally, I just went home that day. I just remember my face just stung. What did the school do? Oh, the, the boy got suspended because he assaulted me. No, I was hoping that they did something. Yeah. I Yeah. But yeah, when it came to, eventually, once I was probably a junior, senior, I'd gotten help with self-harm and... I wasn't doing any anymore 
and I kind of learned where my group was in high school because I was always trying to not really do anything, just kind of skate by. And then I was like, okay, survival mode, find some friends. <laughs> Did you go to high school in your village or was your high school like a, like a different areas put together where there was... It was a bunch of different areas that were brought together with a bunch of different... Um, elementary schools in the in the there were more villages by the way and all these (laughs) villages that kind of fed into this one high school yeah because i think that changes the game too you know because and also in high school there's i think there's a lot more opportunities for actually you're not all stuck in one class the way in junior high or elementary school you know you kind of get stuck in these situations i feel like high school gives that space and also you can you know if you like sports, you can play sports. If you like theater, you could do theater. If you like band, like there's so many different avenues you can find your people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of found my people with the other, like, you know, weird people, uh, you know, in closet gays, theater geeks, all that kind of stuff. So how did the womanless pageant come about? Uh, it's interesting. Like there's this, you know, this background of, kind of like harassment and the school not really doing what I think they should have been doing. And then you get to high school and they're going to put on a pageant and have, and have drag. Yeah, it was, that happened. I think I was a scene. No, if I was 16, I would have been a junior. I want to say it was a junior in high school. And they said that, and I saw these guys who were going to be in it. And I'm like, these are the same guys who like shoved me in the lockers, beat me up and everything. And they're, uh, which I guess was also like my teacher responding, like, do not itch this and beat them in this. Like, it's yeah. going to be a weird compromise of their masculinity, a really weird one. Yeah, I just find it so interesting, but but great, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I had, I had a lot of fun doing it, so that was kind of my first performance. And like I said, I really didn't, I didn't really, don't think I performed again until I was 20 years old, uh, just because I really didn't have an opportunity before that. Okay, so um, after high school, what was your next move? I moved to Lafayette for college. I went to uh, University of Louisiana at Lafayette studying informatics. Uh, I should not have done that. What is that? <laughs> so the official thing is that it's computer science with more of a, a uh, focus on informational technology. However, it's actually computer science for people who don't like to do math. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I never even heard of that, but I I was a film studies major, so what do I know? <laughs> All that stuff's foreign language to me. Yeah, I really should have uh, gone for something else, something else that I was a lot more passionate about. But I was like, let me go for this to make money, and then I was like, God, I'm gonna hate my life if I continue in this. Still planning on going back to school eventually, hopefully after we're allowed to get out. But I will probably be going back to school for uh, hair and makeup which is something I actually enjoy doing. Yeah, and that you're very good at. I feel like you have the real life knowledge, you know. Yeah. I went to UL for five years. During that time, I was very active in a uh, queer organization called GLASS. It stood for Giving Love, Acceptance, Safety, and Support. We were a very, we, I joined and it was like, you know, a couple of queer people, like 10 at a very high, high uh, attendance meeting uh, when I started there. And it was something that I went and, to school kind of wanting to do but I was always like very scared to get involved in uh college organizations but once I joined glass it was like okay I have I now have a chosen family here that's actually how I finally got 
into professionally doing drag. Uh, we held a annual drag show and it was a competition where the uh, students at the university could compete with priority given to glass members if they wanted to compete. It was going to be a glass member before a non-glass member that would be able to compete. They held, we held it every year and I competed twice. I did my first time at, I want to say, yeah, my first time was 20 years old. And I did this Jessica Rabbit number to uh, I Need a Hero, the fairy godmother version, the gay version, <laughs> the gayer, the gayer version. <laughs> yeah, I was like, the original's pretty gay. <laughs> I did I did that and I didn't win that year. Uh, and the next year I came back and I did this really dramatic uh, Rococo inspired number to Hellfire from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh. Yeah, it was... It was heavily theatrical and dramatic, uh, and I won that year. Nice. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I became Queen Glass 2017, and with that came a uh, prize, which was a spotlight at the local gay bar. So my very first time doing like professional drag was at Bolt Bar and Patio in Lafayette. It is... It's, it, first of all, it's an amazing bar. They have shows every, once everything starts back up, they have shows every Friday night and every Sunday night. If you're ever in Lafayette, go see these queens. They're some of the best queens. You have uh, Kinley Andrews, Roxy, Roxy Black, Santana Pilar Andrews, Alexa Milano, uh, Araya Sinclair, and uh, Jadalyn Mugged. Like, they are the queens to see. Some of my favorite, favorite queens. Rant over about, about them. Uh <laughs> My very first show, a, a queen by the name of Andy Black did my makeup because I, I, I won that show with like the least bit of makeup you've ever seen a drag queen wear. <laughs> so she did my makeup and I'll say this to any queen, any queen who's looking to improve their makeup, have another queen do your makeup. If you have another queen do your makeup, they see things that you don't on your face. It's literally... They, are ha they have an outside perspective on your face and you have a certain way of, of how you want your face to look like when you're done with the makeup. They have a different way and it helps so much. We did a show back in February. It was the face swap show. And I remember Analia XO did my makeup and I took away about 15 tricks from that one time someone else doing my face uh, from that. And when Andy did my makeup for the first time, it was like, oh, drag makeup now clicks for me. Yeah. It's going to still take me a while to get it, but I now understand what I need to be doing. Yeah, it sounds scary, though, to really, like, let go and let drag in, in that way. <laughs> yeah, well, I knew I knew Andy, and I was just like, whatever she does to my face can only be an improvement of what my face looked like <laughs> at that show. And I, I walked I walked out on that stage, and I will say, I looked gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> I looked absolutely gorgeous. I loved, I, I loved it. It's still probably one of the best times I've ever looked. So I was fully 100% ecstatic about that night. And I did that. And here I am today from the first time I did drag first time in the pageant to now I'll say I've been doing drag four years professionally. Uh, what I like about the shows that you produce too, is you don't, you don't just produce a drag show. You have a, a concept to it. You have a little twist to it, a face swap idea. Like yeah. to get so many queens on board with that, I thought was great. Cause like I said, that's a scary thing, you know? Yeah. It, it was a hard time getting people for that last resort. I probably asked, I want to say close to 30 queens to be a part of it. And 
literally what you what 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 I finally had. I was like, okay, this is actually a really diverse cast uh, of people with a dive because the, all their makeup was so different. And people were ecstatic to see, like, whenever people were so excited to see Velma Blair look normal. <laughs> we had uh, Wontanya Dumpling look like Velma Blair. Like, that was insane. <laughs> well, I had people going up about Stink, and, Stink Queen and Misty Bonet switching faces because they have such distinct makeup styles. I had, like, this one person who was like, you gave Analia XO yourself because she's the best makeup artist. I was like, what? No. Everyone who I got is a good makeup artist. Yeah. If I was really shady about it, I would have like begged, begged and played at Luda Ray to be in this show and gave her me. <laughs> someone did ask, someone did ask me that night why I didn't get Luna Ray. I was like, because I would have had six angry queens on my hands. <laughs> yeah, for sure. She's, she's great. Yeah. You, so Lafayette is like in the middle of Louisiana and it's like Cajun country. Over the years, I go there probably like two to three times a year to do comedy there. And I either do really well or I totally bomb because most of my jokes are about being gay and also about being Jewish. Two things that sometimes they don't like there, um, just from personal experience. Yeah, so the the main place to perform is Bolt. There is another little bar called The Pearl, and they put on... I wouldn't necessarily call them drag shows because they're not normally stereotypical drag shows. The main producer I know, I don't know if there's a lot of other producer, drag producers who produce there, but at the Pearl, my drag my drag sister, Pussy Delish, produces those shows. And they're a lot more of the alternative drag that you see there. Uh, there's been a couple of other things. My uh, old drag troupe, the Drag Punks, we did a, a show at a bar called cafe cottage it was for the louisiana comic-con after party we did a drag show there and there's every now and then you'll see like a little like oh drag show here one night but when it comes to like a a, like scene it's it's mostly bolt and for a little while we had a lesbian bar called purr that was owned by the same person in the same parking lot so it was still all kind of congested into one area that's a great name for a lesbian bar. Holy shit. I know, right? <laughs> I was like, I that's I wish I could have gone there when they were open. <laughs> that, that I might have done well there. Yeah. So what brought you to New Orleans and when did you come to New Orleans? I moved here in August of last year. I had some very, very personal things going down that went down in Lafayette that I do not feel comfortable going into yeah absolutely but i had some stuff go down and i had already planned me and my roommates we all already planned on like eventually our our step is new orleans like i'm a queer performance artist my roommate is a queer graphic artist my other roommate is a queer is queer and he works in he he's really good at working with sex toys and in sex shops Mm -hmm. so like we we knew like New Orleans is going to do great from them. and then my other roommate was is just kind of is queer and goes with the flow so we were all like New Orleans is a logical next step and once some something incredibly traumatic actually went down in Lafayette we decided like okay now is a good a time as any let's save up money for a few months and move that's great y'all did it together yeah it it, it really helped uh so we've all been here since august of last year and you're all planning on staying oh yeah there's a lot for all of us in new orleans so there's literally no reason for us to move we probably will be moving from our current apartment soon we we talked about moving probably somewhere in the treme is our our next step 
And how did you how did you get the name Nikki Nikolai? So that's the I don't know. Do you use a different name with burlesque, or you use the same? I uh, the only time I use a different name when I'm doing puplesque, I go by my pup name, which is Pup Rouge. When it comes to my drag name, uh, I started off cosplaying, and more specifically, I was a steampunk. And Nikki Nikolai was originally my steampunk name, and it came from uh, a want for a gender neutral name because I knew. I wanted to do both male and female uh, steampunk uh, looks. So I wanted something male and female. I wanted something that was a nod to my steampunk character. My steampunk character was this inventor and everything. And so I really leaned on Nikola Tesla. So my very original uh, name was Nikolai Nikki. And uh, one of my friends was just like, Nikki Nikolai is so much cuter. Go with that. And they were right. And it stuck. Yeah, I what what I like the most about it that it reminds me of a uh, comic book characters like Peter Parker, Bruce Banner, that kind of what's it called an illusion or oh, alliterative? Alliterative, yes. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, you're gonna ask me a word I I know, but I can't say right now. <laughs> yeah, alliterative names from like comic books are one of my favorite things about comic book characters. So I have an alliter- alliterative name because of that too. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Do your moms know that you do drag and have they seen you perform or burlesque? My moms know that I do drag and I know one of them knows I do burlesque. I'm pretty sure she's told the other one. Uh, Plus, I post on Facebook all the time about about shows and performances that I've done. So I would assume my other mom knows that I do burlesque. If not, mom, if you're uh, watching, I do burlesque. Uh, (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) Surprise! They know. They've seen... Both times I did uh, the glass drag show, they were there. And then when I did my give up number the year after I won, they were there for that too. So they've seen me perform. Uh, definitely not as much as I, I would like them to. Hopefully once all this comes down, they can come for a visit and I'll try to schedule on a night I have a show so they can actually come see me perform. Uh, my mom always comments on like, because she sees pictures of me at always lounge and everything she was like i really want to come see you perform at this bar it's such a beautiful bar it is i'm like yes please come to the always lounge mom come see my home away from home (laughs) i feel like every podcast episode we're all just like we miss the always lounge like that's just how it is but it is i was talking with nathan lane bryant and i was just like that's just it feels like family there you know yeah oh I mean, I, I was saying to my roommate the other day, I was like, you know what I said? I miss the always lounge, like the moment I walk out of it. <laughs> like, I will leave for the <laughs> night out and I'll just be like, I miss always. So not ha- having not been there in a in over a month is really jarring to me because I am the, I'm at, there at least three times a week. Yeah, absolutely. So to not be at the always lounge. It's weird. <laughs> a lot of things are weird right now. I've uh, been talking to Zelia a lot because I'm like, I miss you. I miss the always lounge. Yeah, it's hard because that is it's a place that we all were together and we all did our we all had our shows and we had our, our space to be creative. You know, we still it's still there. We still have it and we're doing what we can online, but it's not the same as it as it has been. And I know we're all looking forward to get back to that. Yeah, it's definitely it's just jarring not being it's, it's it's jarring not seeing so many pe- so many members of your of your chosen family. I'll see uh, like a photo or like just a post on Facebook of someone. I'm just like, uh, I really should uh, go visit them. I'm like, oh wait, no, I can't. <laughs> like literally, it's just every single time I'm on Facebook, 
I forget that I'm, I can't go see a, a large portion of my chosen family right now. Yeah. Or, or do you do the thing where you're like, oh, what shows are tonight? And then you're like, ah, nothing. All the time. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. Well, hopefully we're going to end this on a positive note. So hopefully we will get back to our... I don't, I keep calling it the before times, but we'll just get back to our regularly scheduled nightlifes. Let's let's say that. Let's stay positive. Can you let folks know how they can find you on social media and any online shows? Uh, yeah, you can find me uh, on Instagram at Queen Nikki Nikolai. Nikki is spelled with a C K, and uh, Nikolai is spelled with only one C. People make the mistake all the time. You can find me on TikTok under the same thing. I've been posting a lot of stuff on there for the Unicorn Cat Challenge. And you can find me on Facebook at Nikki Nikolai. At the moment, I don't have anything online coming up, but browse my Instagram in a couple of weeks and I'll probably have a couple of things cooked up by then. Yeah, and we'll definitely share on our social media, you know, let folks know where they can find you. Uh, Because I know, you know, with the online stuff, which is great because this is a podcast and we have people all over you know, all over listen to it. And before, if we would talk about shows, only certain podcast fans would be able to access those. But now everything's open to everybody. So we'll definitely let folks know, you know, when you have upcoming shows. And thank you so much for taking the time out to talk with us and share your life with us. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to our guests, Nikki Nikolai, for sharing their world with you. Special thank you to Jessa Fallon and Ryan Golub for your help producing and editing the podcast. Follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Queer to My Heart and on Instagram and Facebook at Near and Queer to My Heart. Also, when things get back going, check out our live queer storytelling show, Greetings from Queer Mountain. We are in New Orleans, Austin, New York City, and Oakland. Also, check out online. Uh, We're doing some shows. We got some things going on, some merch. So check it out. Support queer artists. And thank you so much. Thank y'all. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.